Uh, we're going to drop things. No, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. To start off the teaching today, we're going to talk about the five most dangerous toys ever in the history of toy making. Some of you sitting here, you probably owned one of these toys or you wanted one of these toys. So we're going to show you the first one there. It's a no, 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 it's a, uh, not that one, <laughs> the first one. It's a toy car with a bear, uh, right there. First toy, it's a, to a, little, a first a little car toy with a bear trap on it. I'm just joking, this isn't really a toy. Some of you are going to be like, you really could buy that, Toys R Us? Toys R Us is coming back, by the way, but right there, that's not a toy, so don't worry. Now on the real um, side, you could go back to the first one you showed. The Cabbage Patch Kids, some of us might have not known, but the Cabbage Patch Kids, they had a specific doll that had powerful mechanical jaws that you could feed. Do any of you remember this? Okay, a couple of you guys. Do you have fingers left? Yeah? Okay. These dolls, you could feed them plastic carrots and french fries, and literally, they would chomp on anything you would put through their mouth. So kids would have their fingers um, chomped on, their hair chomped on, to the point that they refunded about 500,000 people with $40 for the purchase of this killer doll that's chomping down everything, okay? And for those of you that owned it before, after service, if you need extra prayer here because of the trauma you faced, you could just come see us afterwards. Okay, the next one, it's toy guns with magic crystals. It was the Austin Magic Pistol and the Mattel's Belt Buckle Derringer from the 50s. All right, this was a long time ago. Some of you are like, 50s? Yeah, there's some of us that might have had toys in the 50s. They use magic crystals to launch ping pongs. And if you added water to it at any point, it would actually explode in the kid's face. So they were completely banned and discontinued. Did anyone here have any of those? Oh, Riley raised his hand and John raised his hand. We're definitely going to pray and fast for you guys. Okay, the next one are slingshots. And of course, we know David used one, but some of us, some of us really shouldn't. This, as recently as 2006, they were recalled, and there were 100,000 people that reported getting blind, getting blind, or also broken teeth from the slingshots, so they're really hard to find. Many of us have had slingshots before, right? You could raise your hand. The next one, honestly, I think it's one of the most dangerous ones. I don't even know who created this, whoever did. They were really evil. Um, it's a toothpick crossbow. No, not that one. The next uh, toothpick crossbow. Do we have that picture? Okay, I'll just tell you about it. It'll eventually, hopefully, come up. It's a toothpick crossbow, and what it is, it's literally a little miniature crossbow that you could put toothpicks in it, and you could shoot at people, okay? And it could launch it over 60 feet. Yes. So thousands of people experienced many injuries from it, and they were completely banned. And lastly, it was the last picture you just had up, the lawn darts. 
right there. This was in, in the 1970s. Anyone ever played with those? Oh, okay, a couple of you guys. They were weighted spikes flying through the sky. Family-friendly or extremely dangerous, right? Here, some 6,000 kids went to the hospitals in the hospital in the 70s and 80s. 6,000 kids. And even to the point they said that there were a couple fatalities because of this toy. It was completely banned in 1988. How many of you guys had it? A couple, Pastor Debbie said, I used to play it all the time. So, oh, Sue as well, a couple of you guys. Um, and they were not only just, not only were they banned, but they were strongly encouraged not for anyone that owned them to destroy them. Do you guys still own it? You own it? All right, guys, today after church, we're all going to Pastor Debbie's house. She's going to do a little barbecue. It's pretty warm out, and we're going to play with these weighted uh, spiky things, and we're going to try to play dodge, uh, dodging them. But here you have a classic example of toys, and you could almost imagine how many kids, when they went into the toy store during that time, wanted them. They started crying. They're like, come on, please buy it for me, begging them, pretty much making this big scene to please purchase these type of toys. And, and you, you, could, you could know the parent. The parent is probably going to look at them and say, no, don't worry. You know, because the parent knows, the parent knows that these toys could cause harm. They're not ready for these toys. It could cause a lot of problems. Now, if your parent uh, might be Spanish, Spanish, it might say something like, te vas a sacar el ojo con ese juego, con eso que tú quieres. You know, you're going to poke out your eye with whatever you, you ended up getting. But you know as a parent that these toys are not good for kids to have, that they're not ready for them, even though they look fun. Now, we've all been in the situation where we wanted something, and our parents said no to us, or maybe not now. But in the same way, too, last week we learned that from God's perspective, everything looks very different. So, so from your perspective, you might think that you're ready for certain things. You might feel as though you're ready for certain blessings. You might want the certain thing that you're praying for. But from God's perspective, he might look at you and say, you're not ready for this. Or he might look at you and say, you know what? You think you're ready, but you're going to hurt yourself with the very thing you're asking for. It's going to steer you away from where I want you to be in your destiny in me. So from heavenly perspective, it's completely different. And that's why the same way with uh, how I mentioned last week too, is that our our trust and our faith is anchored in God and who he is. It's his character. It's not the things that we experience. It's not the things that we receive. It's not the gifts that we get. It's not the answered prayers or not the answered prayers that we might experience. Our anchor is in God. And we approach every opportunity that we have to pray or to walk in this journey having faith, trusting God, that God could do the impossible, that God could do amazing things. But if God says no, if God says later, if God says come back to me later with it, whatever it is, whatever the answer God might give you, you could have the peace inside your heart. You could have the comfort in your heart and mind knowing that God's vantage point 
as a parent, you could say. You know, it's completely different than ours. Completely different. Because we know that he sees things completely different than the way that we see them. So we can't, now think about it. How many kids start kicking, fussing, throwing a tantrum? I mean, I think we've all seen it. And maybe when you were a kid, maybe when I was a kid, we did it too. It's like we threw ourselves on the ground, threw a tantrum. It's like, no, but I want it, I want it, whatever it is. I wonder spiritually, how mature are we? It's like when God doesn't answer our prayer, it's not a reflection on who God is. God is a good God no matter if he answers it or not. Because our confidence is in his character of who he is. But it's a reflection on our spiritual maturity. Do we kick and scream and start throwing a tantrum spiritually? Like, I can't even tell you how many times, sometimes I've talked to someone, and they used to follow God. And I asked them, it's like, how come you don't follow God anymore? Oh, he didn't answer my prayer. There was something I wanted, and he didn't give it to me. And because of that, they decided to turn away from God and not follow God anymore. So my question really to them is, who, who are you trusting? Who did you have a relationship with? Did you have a relationship with God's heart, with the character of who God is? Or did you have a relationship with God's hand, what you could receive from him? Is Are you just looking out for a handout from God? And I mentioned before, um, last week too, God's not a genie. If you want a genie, go watch Aladdin. God's not a genie. You know, God's God. And, and he is sovereign. He sees everything. And he makes decisions. And when it doesn't go according to our way, we could trust him that he's an amazing God. In Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 8, it says this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So here God clearly says that it's a different vantage point. And we also need to realize we need to walk this walk in faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says this, And without faith it is impossible, can everyone say impossible? impossible. To please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So it's impossible to approach God without faith. It's impossible to be in this journey with God without faith. And this year, in case you missed last week, the word of the year is miracles. Believe in God for the impossible. Whenever we approach life, whatever we might, going, we might be going through, whatever the doctors might be saying, whatever your circumstances might be saying, whatever the enemy's whispering to you, whatever you might be convincing yourself of, it's not reality. The reality is, is what God says is real and your faith in him. So there you need to walk through your life having faith. So we serve a God of miracles, and we're going to be highlighting. You could take out your bulletins in the back, and you could take a couple of notes. But we know we have the God of miracles, and we're going to be highlighting seven miracles 
from the book of John so that we would be able to see how powerful God is. Because I really do believe that so many times we minimize who God is and we make God too small through our own eyes. It's like we just feel as though God can't do it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're limiting who God is, what he's able to do, what he's not able to do. And something I mentioned last week is who are we to judge what God could do or what he can't do? God could do the impossible. And we need to approach every situation that way. So we're going to look at the book of John. We're going to see seven miracles. And we're going to start with the first one is this. It's going to be behind you. It says, God has the power over quality. God has the power over quality. Is there? You could write it down. In John chapter 2, and you could write it down, you could read it for yourself when you get home tonight. But in John chapter 2, it was the wedding in Cana. The wine ran out during that time. And Jesus' mom brought the situation to Jesus. And all of a sudden, the first miracle that Jesus made happened. And all of a sudden, wine was produced out of water. Water turned into wine. And there, something that's interesting was the wine was the best wine that was available. Okay? So all of a sudden here is God has the power over quality. It's like all of a sudden, it's like God was able to do, when, when he does miracles, he could do the very best in whatever he decides to do the miracle in. So for us, we should never question that God has the very best for us. The problem happens is when our own interpretation of what the best is. We think we know what the best is. But God's best is the best no matter what best you think in your mind it is. That was a little tongue twist, twister. Don't try to say that. I'm not going to be able to say that again either. All right, James chapter 1 verse 17 says this. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Do you question God's goodness? Do you question that he has the very best for you? Because we know that God has the power over quality. The second truth that I want you to write down is this. God has the power over distance. Over distance. In John chapter 4, you could write it down. A royal official came to Cana and approached Jesus because his son was dying in Capernaum. About 20 miles away. 20 miles away. Which is a long stretch. In John chapter 4, starting at verse 49, it says this. You could turn as well if you want, and if not, it's going to be behind you. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. Mind you, he's 20 miles away. And Jesus says, go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And I love, I'm going to take a pause there. I love there. The man took Jesus at his word. Jesus, you said go. I'm going to go. 
Like, you know what I mean? You said it, I'm going to believe it, and that settles it. That's a famous quote that a lot of times people say. He took Jesus at his word. Do you take Jesus at his word? When you read the Bible and you see the promises of God and you know the truth, the spiritual principles throughout Scripture, do you take it by the word? Do you take God by his word? Here this man that's meeting Jesus takes his word um, by the word. It says this in verse 51. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Distance might be a limitation for us, but distance is not a limitation for God at all. So right here, second truth, God has the power over distance. You might feel helpless even now. I know many of us have family in what's happening in Puerto Rico, and you feel like you're not able to be there. Let me tell you, distance has nothing, it can't hold God back. And what you pray for in your prayer room at home, God hears and moves in Puerto Rico. So wherever you're praying for, there's no distance that can limit God. It might limit us. You might be in a situation where you're running late, trying to catch the bus, trying to catch whatever it is. Maybe the Uber, you said, you say, I want an Uber. And then all of a sudden, two minutes away, I'm not ready. You know, you're like, whatever it is. You're always running because you might feel as though you're limited by time. God, it's not limited over time or distance. God has the power over distance. Okay, number three is, is that God has the power over time. I mentioned it as well before. God has the power over time. This story you'll find in John chapter 5. Over 40 years, a man had pretty much an infirmity, a disability, and he was asking God for healing. And all of a sudden, we know that Jesus said that this in John chapter 5. He looked at the man for four decades. He was pretty much there in Bethsaida, right by the pool, waiting for the pool to be stirred because he believed if he would be the first one when the pool would be stirred, he would be healed. But at the same time, because of his disability and everything, he wasn't able to be there. And all of a sudden, God looks at him, knowing that he's been in this condition for 38 years. Okay? So God has the power over time, and he asks him, do you want to get well? Think about this. He's been in this condition for 38 years, and Jesus turns to him and says, do you want to get well? And you might be sitting here thinking to, your, to yourself, it's like, duh, like, you know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't I want to get healed? It's, it's been 38 years, me living in this condition. Why would Jesus ask, do you want to get well? And I'll give you an example. There's so many of us here because of time, because of different things that are happening in our lives. We've just accepted it as reality, that nothing's going to change. Because it's been this way for such a long time. And even if you know that God could do a miracle, but you discount it. 
It's like you're like, you know what? It might not change. I'm just going to stay this way because I'm so used to it. So many of us, we're used to something for such a long time, even though you know it's not what God has for you, but you've accepted it as a reality that you're going to live the rest of your life with that stronghold, with that mindset, with that oppression, with that addiction, with those circumstances, with those problems. You just accepted it as truth and reality, but just because of the time you've been in it. So God turns to you and asks you the same question, do you want to be well? Because you need faith to be healed in those areas as well. Do you want to be well? Some of us could easily turn to God and say, you know what, it's like, I'm so used to it, I'm good. I'll live this way. But all of a sudden we know that the man said yes, and then all of a sudden the Lord said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So right there at that moment, in John chapter 5, God proves that God has the power over time. So what have you accepted over time? You just just don't pray about it anymore because you just don't think that will ever change. You stop praying for your spouse because you just think that they're not going to change anymore. You stop praying for your kids because you don't think that they're going to come home to God anymore. They're set in their ways. You don't pray anymore for God to take you into the fullness of what he has for you because you're completely content and settled with just Sunday morning and just probably popping in here and there to volunteer once in a while. You just don't pray for God to take you to the next level because you love this level. You don't pray to God to stretch you because you're more, let me tell you something. I fear more the regret of knowing that I didn't step out into the unknown than anything I might face in the unknown. But some of us fear the unknown more than the regret within our heart. I don't want to look back in my life and say, you know what? Why did I hold back? Why didn't I chase God with everything that I have? Why did I hold back and not surrender those things to God? Why didn't I get involved because I was afraid of what people would say? Let me tell you something, and I said this before. People are going to talk whether you do it or not. People are always going to talk. So I'd rather just listen to the voice of God and silence those that are talking around me and just listen to the voice of God. I always pray to God and say, God, silence my enemies and amplify your voice in my heart and mind. I don't want to hear my enemies anymore. Let them talk. I know they're going to talk, but let it sound like, what is it? Like uh, um, that, wah, wah, what's, is that peanuts or? Peanuts, okay. That wasn't a, uh, you know, like, wah, 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 wah. Well, what'd you say? I don't really care, but what'd you say? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like we need to realize that our life is short. Life is short. How many days, weeks, months, or years we're all going to live? And I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for my life. And I don't think you do either. Deep down inside, you don't want to miss out what God has. But there's a price to pay to let God guide you to the next level. You need to let go of things. You need to let God do what he wants 
to do. The fourth truth is this. God has the power over quantity. Quantity. John chapter 6. Here we see a large crowd. And all of a sudden there's a large crowd. Over 5,000 people are there. Easily, let's say 7,500 people. 5,000 men, women, children. Packed house by the hill. And all of a sudden, John chapter 6, verse 5 through 6, it says this. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Pause right there. It's like there's 7,500 people, and Jesus turns to Philip and said, yo, where could we buy enough pan de bono for all these people? There's a lot of Portuguese rolls, a lot of Cuban loaves. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like how are we going to feed these people? It's like, why would Jesus even ask Philip? But then you see it in verse 6. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So, of course, we know the story. Five small loaves and two fish were multiplied Everyone ate up to the point that they didn't want to eat no more. And 12 barrels full were um, filled to the brim afterwards. But here he asks Philip, it's, it's like, what are we going to do about this situation? Because here, the truth, God has the power over quantity. A lot of times we try to figure out things in our mind. The way God does math, it doesn't add up. He uses five loaves and two little fish, and he feeds 7,500 people, you could say. How? Oh, yeah, the math doesn't add up. Sometimes I, eat, I buy some Chinese food, and I try to share it with Jen. I eat it all by myself. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, so, so, you know, we know how much... This is mad tangent, mad tangent, sorry. But it's so funny. Sometimes we go out to eat, and Jen, she, she tries to order what she wants through me, too. Like, we, we, we do a little thing. She's like, don't you want to get the burger? I was like, no, I don't want to get the burger. I want to get this. But like, you really want that burger. So she does, like, subliminal stuff. No, no, I'm joking. But, but all I know is that we try to calculate how much food we're going to have between the two of us to see if it's enough for the two of us. God's math doesn't add up. Like it's almost as when you're talking to a kid, and I know we've probably all done it at one point. You look at a little kid and you're like, hey, what's four plus four? And the kid is like 5,832. You know what I mean? Like we look at them as like, you got to go study a little more. But uh, we might look at them as like, yo, your math doesn't add up there kind of a little bit. Uh, you know what I mean? What's 9 plus 10? It's not 21. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like your math doesn't add up a little bit. So it's like, but that's how it is with God. It just doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up. So right now, this moment, you're in situations of your life that you're just figuring out how is this going to work out and add up. God's math skills are way beyond ours, Okay. And his spiritual math, uh, pretty much distinctions and decisions, pretty much blows the mind, uh, our minds. We can't wrap our minds around the way God sees things. So here, God has the power over quantity. 
And let's never, never forget this. And at the same time, too, I just want to add this. You might be sitting here, you might feel as though you don't have much to offer to God. You don't have much. It's like, what could I do for God? You might feel it's like, I don't have too many gifts. I don't have too many talents. You know, I don't have too much money. I don't, I don't know too many people. I don't, I don't have too much to give to God. God has an amazing way to get nothing and make it into something. So here we see the miracle there with five loaves and two fish. God wants your, your entire life to be that miracle. So right now, this moment, you might feel it's like you don't have much. And a lot of times people say, it's like, you know what, Carlos? I would do more for God if I had the time. Or I would do, I want to give myself to God when I get my life in order. Let me tell you, that's the biggest mistake you could ever make in your life because the only person that could put your life in order is God himself. So each of us here, no matter where you are, no matter what your background, no matter how many times you've sinned in the past, you could come to God and God will clean you, cleanse you, strengthen you, equip you, and use you in ways beyond your wildest imagination. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. People will look at you and your family, your friends, and just they, they'll wonder, it's like, how did this happen? It doesn't add up, but we know that God is able to do the impossible. The fifth truth is this. God has the power over nature. In John chapter 6 as well, there's a big storm, and starting at verse 18, we're going to read it. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, so they're, they're already three or four miles in the Sea of Galilee, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. And I think most of us, us, if not all of us, we would be as well. But then he says, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And I know even when Pastor Diana taught, she, she brought up just the fact that the very thing that the disciples were afraid of and terrified and frightened of, of the storms and the waves and the nature that they were experiencing, it was underneath the feet of Jesus as he's walking on the water. So God has the power over nature. And of course, nature, we see so many things happening through nature, but God has the power over nature, and it's under the feet of God. So for all of us, we need to pray and understand that our prayers are powerful and God can hear our prayers. The sixth truth is this. God has the power over limitations. In John chapter 9, there was someone that was blind from birth. From birth he was blind. And then it says in verse 6 through 7, it says this. After saying this, Jesus, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, put it on the man's eyes, and he said, go. And he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. So here you have a situation where someone was born blind. And Jesus, something that's interesting is that 
Jesus could have just healed them at that moment. Jesus could have just said, it's like, you know, you're healed. But no, he did something very unique where he spit on the ground, made mud, put it on his eyes, and then said, go and wash it off. Why did Jesus do that? Like, why wouldn't Jesus do something quickly and just, like, get it over with real quick? All of a sudden, we, all of us, we need to realize is that Jesus is more concerned about teaching the lesson than just giving you a miracle that you want. And here for the miracle, the man had to go and wash his eyes and do what Jesus told him to do. But what if the, the man would have just taken off the mud off his eyes at that moment and said, nah, this is crazy. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. It's like, you know, God wants us to step out in faith so that we could meet God and experience the miracle that he wants us to experience. But here with this miracle, we see that God has the power over limitations. Now, all of us here, it's like, you know, who knows? Maybe we were born with certain limitations. Or maybe we were born with certain challenges. But we need to understand, no matter what anyone else has told you, God has the power over those limitations and challenges that we might be experiencing. But we also need to understand that maybe we've prayed and the healing hasn't come. We know that in all, God is sovereign and God is good and God is great and he will give you the strength through it. And when the time comes, the healing will happen. Honestly, whether it's here on earth or in heaven, we will experience it. But we know that all things work together for good. But does that mean that we shouldn't pray and believe God for the miracle? No. We approach God, believing God, that God could do the impossible. And lastly, the seventh truth that I want to leave you with is this. God has the power over death. In John chapter 11, we have Lazarus that ends, ends up passing away. And his sisters that want, of course, wanted for Jesus to be, come back in time and also to raise him as well from the dead. In John chapter 11, starting at verse 21, it says this. When Jesus ended up making his way back, it says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die, they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then look, look at it. I want you to also notice the pattern here. Jesus then asked the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And then she says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. So here, I just want to highlight 
Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So many times we wonder, it's like, how could something be resurrected within me in my life? Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Don't look at so many, so many of us have gone to so many different places trying to be resurrected and trying to find life, but we're left with emptiness. And Jesus makes it clear, I am the resurrection and the life. There's no need to look. He is it. And then he, he's, he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And then he, almost, he reiterates it. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And of course, we know how the story ends. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. After being in the tomb for four days, God has the power over death. But I love how he says, do you believe this? And in the same way, God is looking at all of us. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God has the power over death? Do you, do you believe that God has the power over all these things that I've mentioned? Because every single one of them, they're impossibilities from a human standpoint. From a human standpoint, you're not able to do it. It doesn't make sense. And you know what? You'll never in your life are going to be able to wrap your mind around it. Some of us are trying to analyze it. Some of us are trying to figure it out. Some of us want to pretty much, in a sense, put it in our minds so that we could fully understand everything. And that's impossible. You cannot and will not put God in a box. God is outside of the box. You're the one that's been trying to put God in, in a box in your own mind and heart. But do you believe all these things that I've mentioned? In Luke chapter 18, verse 27, it says this. Jesus said, what is impossible with, the, with man is possible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Last week, we also learned, in case you missed last week, you can listen to the teaching. We learned that we need to have faith that in God, all things are possible. That we can't judge what he's able to do and what he can't. We also learned that we have to have faith that God has total authority over everything. There's nothing or no one that's outside of God's reign. There's sometimes I see people that probably taste or experience certain, they, they think they have things under control, you could say. Like power got to their head and they think that they, they pretty much, they control their lives. In reality, God is the one that's reigning over everyone and everything. For all the individuals in this world and all the presidents and kings and queens throughout the entire world, God is still sovereign sovereign, doing what he needs to get done. And we also talked about that we have to live by faith and not by sight. What you see with your own eyes is not the reality. And what we need to do is ask God, I want to see things through your eyes. The fourth thing I said last week too is we need God's perspective in every situation. And I said everything looks different from his throne. Everything looks different from his throne. I wonder right now, this moment, no matter what you're going through, 
if you would even pray that and say, God, could I see how this looks like, looks like through, your, through your eyes sitting on your throne? How does this look like? I guarantee you that God's not worried. God's not stressed. God's not like losing his mind over a situation. God's at peace because he reigns. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says this. This is a prayer that Jeremiah said. He says, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I wonder if we could pray that. But as we close this service, we're going to pray a little differently by adding a line next to that. The next slide. All sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you, even. What would you put there on that line? What would you put there? You know what? It's easy for us to say, oh, nothing is impossible for God. But then when it becomes personal, what would you put there? What would you fill in the blank there? Because nothing is too impossible for him. If everyone could close their eyes and bow their heads. If you've made God too small in your eyes through the situation that you're in right now. If you know that you have limited God. If you know that even through all the examples that I gave, some of it might have challenged you in the power that God has. There are so many examples that we mentioned. How God has the power over quantity. God has the power over nature. God has the power over limitation. God has the power over death. God has the power over quality. God has the power over distance. God has the power over time. And God has the power over the very thing that you're wrestling with right now. If you know that you need to pray this prayer that Jeremiah prayed, and you need to add that very thing, I need you to just stand up where you're at. Stand up at your, where you're seated. Don't worry about the person next to you. This is between you and God. You just know that you've been walking this journey, limiting what God could do. In your own life, You've been limiting what God could do with those around you. You've been limiting what God could do in, in pretty much in this world. But we need to trust God like never before. So if that's you, maybe you're still seated, but you know you need to stand up. I want you to stand even now as well. And as you're standing, I want you to first talk to God right now. With your eyes closed, I want you to confess to God that you're going to trust Him, that you're going to have faith in Him, that you submit these fears that are crippling you into, your hand, into His hands. 
whatever you filled in that blank, you're going to commit that to him. That's not beyond what God could do. And at the same time, ask God to fill your heart and mind with peace. Whether he answers it right away or whether he says, not yet. Or whether he might even say no. Whatever might be happening in your life. That he would overwhelm you with peace and his presence. That you would be content and your faith is anchored in the character of who he is. Not in what he could do for you. Father God, as we're closing this service now, we come before you as a big family. We want to walk this journey in faith, God. Not by the words of what other people say, not by the whispers of what the enemy says, not by what anyone else says, but only what comes from your voice, God. The words that come from your mouth, by the word of God, we want to guide our lives, God. God, forgive us for making you too small in our eyes. Forgive us for trying to put you in a box within our own heart and mind. God, forgive us for quickly feeling as though nothing could happen in a situation that might be too impossible for us. Forgive us for not fixing our eyes on you and knowing that we're walking this life side by side with the God of miracles, the God that could do the impossible. God, forgive us for fixing our eyes on the problems and the circumstances more than you. The more we fix our eyes on the circumstances and the problems, the bigger that they become. God, we pray that we would always fix our eyes on you, that you would become so big and large within our heart and mind, that we would understand the level of power that you have, God, that we would never question that anything is that we know that everything is possible through you, God. So God, even right now, we just commit our lives to you all the circumstances, all the problems, all the issues, everything we're going through. And God, we just pray that you would flood our hearts and minds with your peace, knowing that you're the God that sits on the throne, God. Whether we get what we want, God, or we don't, we're not going to do a tantrum. We're not going to cry. We're not going to make a scene. We're not going to walk away from you, God, because we know who you are. And our faith is anchored in the character of who you are. And God, we pray that you would transform us, make us more like you, God. Because even Jesus, while he was walking through his journey on this earth, in the difficult times, his eyes was always fixed on you. Let us learn from his example. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. We love you. Before you leave, give someone a big hug.